We're in John chapter 1 and working through the prologue of John, the introduction to his gospel. And in that uh, Sunday, last Sunday, we started looking at it uh, with just the first three verses of John's gospel. And now we pick up a little bit more of that and we'll read, we'll cover down through verse number 13. I'm going to read it all, uh, all of the 18 verses of the prologue next Sunday. We will finish this uh, little section here with uh, verses 14 through 18. Uh, very familiar verses, but this morning, uh, let's, we'll read it all, all the way through. I'll read it if you follow along, and then we will pay as our focus on verses 4 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. But from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Our Father, we thank You for Your words. We thank You for the truths that, that are, are so richly contained. Sometimes they're they're lying there upon the ground for us to merely stumble over and pick up and to enjoy. And other times, it is our privilege to dig into them, into the soil of the Word and find the, the, the rich truths buried beneath them. This morning, we gather uh, together to worship. And in one of the ways that we worship, we've come to study the Word. We've come to submit to it, to, to, to listen to what it says to understand what it means, and then to do what it teaches us. So cause us to be obedient hearers. Open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things in Your law. Open our ears that we might be hearers of the Word, but then also that we might be doers of the Word. Or if there is someone in our midst that does not know Christ as the Savior, as a personal Savior, as one in whom He has found life and light. We pray that through these words, 
your words that 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 person might find salvation. For those of us who have found that life life giving light long ago, we pray that as we study your word, it might continue to sanctify us and make us more into the image of your Son. Help us this morning. There are things in our minds that distract us. Bring those things to submission in our minds that we might focus on your word. Give us clarity of thought and understanding that we might know more of what you've spoken to us by your servant John. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Last week we looked at the, we started what we're just calling for three weeks, the theology of Christmas, looking at John's Gospel. John, one of the twelve disciples. Now there are two Johns that we're talking about here, so we want to make sure that we got them separated in our minds adequately. The John who wrote the Gospel is not the John that we, wrote, we read about in, verse, uh, in, in these verses before us, verse number 6. This is the John that, we, that John is writing about is John the Baptist. Okay, So we have a John who was one of the, the sons of thunder. James and John, the brothers, and then Peter were, the, were the, kind of the three popular disciples. And they're writing about John. Uh, John here is now writing about John the Baptist. John is, is writing to us a gospel, as I mentioned to you last week, that uh, it looks a little bit and reads a lot like a court case. John is, is, is presenting a case to uh, the reader to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. And last week we focused on one of the themes of John's Gospel, and that is the Logos. He is the eternal Word of God. We even sang that uh, in, in one of the songs this morning. I don't know if you caught it. Uh, um, o come all ye faithful, we sang, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. He is the Logos, the Word uh, that was made flesh as we get down into verse 14. Well, this morning we, uh, we find a second theme that John introduces. And, and it's, it's, kind of a, it's not just a singular theme. It's a, it's a theme that kind of comes in a pair. And we'll see that uh, in just a moment. In a nutshell, what we're, what we're going to see here is that Jesus whom John has not introduced yet by name, but he is, he is working up to it. But we will see. Jesus is the ever-shining and life-giving light of the world. Now we'll see this in three, uh, in three steps, if you will. First, the hope of shining light. Then the news of coming light. And finally, the blessing of seeing the light. So we'll just work through these, uh, these three steps and, and try to get to the, to the understanding of what John is trying to say to us here about Jesus being the light, the life-giving light. First of all, we, we, have that, uh, that we have John explaining the hope of shining light. Verses 4 and 5 explain that for us. And in these two verses, John wants us to see three things about the shining light. If you're using the bulletin, it's, they're right there before you. You can... Uh, follow along very easily. I'll read verses 4 and 5 again. It says, In Him, now remember that he's talking about the Word or the Logos, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So he was talking about the Logos, which we know is Jesus. So he's saying, first of all, that Jesus is the Word. And now he's saying that in Jesus 
was life, and that this life was the light of men, and that this light shines in darkness, and that the darkness has not overcome it. So let me, let, let's just uh, uh, dig into those three uh, ingredients of his, uh, of his first step, if we will. First of all, we see that the hope of shining light is that it gives life. The hope of light is that it gives life. Now later on in John, Jesus Himself is quoted as saying, As the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. That's John chapter 5. Then again in John chapter 11, Jesus said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Very frequently we find the themes of life and light brought together in John's Gospel. And so this is the main theme that we're working with today, is the the theme of light. And very closely connected to it, the life that comes from the light. So first of all, Jesus is the one who gives the light. And it is not simply saying that Jesus had life. But John is saying, and even in the way that he constructs his sentence, is that the Logos, the Word, Jesus is the source of life. Not just that He has life, that He's alive, like you and I have life. But you and I are not sources of life. But Christ, the Logos, the Word, the Light, is the source of life. And from Him, just very connected to what He said in verse number 3, that nothing was made that was made without Him. Well, now we see that in Him is life. And it is through the Logos that all things have life. Secondly, we see that this light shines in the darkness. Now, if you're an English person, you like grammar, you're a word nerd, uh, then you may notice that this is the first time in John's Gospel that we have a present tense verb. Everything up to this point has been past tense. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. But all of a sudden, we find in verse number four, uh, verse number 5, that the light shines in the darkness. It's a present verb. And it gives us the understanding here that it's not a one-time thing. It's not a thing that happened and is done. It's a thing that continues to happen just as the light shines. Right now, the light is shining, and the light will shine until we turn the light off. Right? Well, the sun doesn't have the on-off switch. The sun in the, in, in the sky, has, it's constantly shining. We don't say that it, 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 it was shining and now it's not. You know, sometimes when the clouds covered up, we say, oh, the sun's, the sun's not out today. The sun is always out. We just can't see it. We kind of base it based on, we base everything on our perspective, right? The sun went up, the sun went down. No, we moved. The sun has been stuck in the same spot it has been since God put it there. Well, the, the sun is always shining. And that's what it says about here, this light, that Jesus, the Son of God, is a continually shining light. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. But all of a sudden, we're introduced to a, an opposite of it. And it doesn't really, John doesn't really go into it yet about where this all came from, but we have the opposite of light, which is darkness. That the sun, the light, shines continually in the darkness. So we have a light from the Logos, from the Word, but we also have a darkness in the world. If you're paying attention, you might say, well, where did the darkness come from? We don't know. It just, it, 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 John didn't say that. He just kind of assumed that, that, that uh, he, he, he assumes that there's darkness, and he'll explain that later on. 
Thirdly, and then I'll come back to that, that idea in just a moment, but thirdly, we see that this darkness is opposing the light, and yet it is, the light is unconquered by the darkness. It's that, that last little bit there. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's an opposition here. There's an unyielding uh, aspect here uh, from the darkness. The darkness is not welcoming the light in. The darkness is not happy that it's finally come. The darkness is trying to overcome it, but it says it is not overcoming the light. It is the nature of darkness to, to oppose the light. This word overcome there, or might, your, your, your Bible might say comprehend there. Sometimes when we use the word comprehend, it makes us think like we're trying to understand it. But darkness is not trying to understand light. Darkness is trying to extinguish light. And this word there, uh, is, it comes from a word that means to make something one's own. It means to master it. It means to grasp it. If you think about, uh, uh, like, a, I was watching a show last night about a guy in Montana was, was breaking a, a wild horse. And he's trying to master that horse. And that horse was not yielding uh, right away. He had to master it. And he had to bring it under his control and under his power. And this is what the darkness is trying to do with the light. And yet it says that the light is not overcome by the darkness. This is the hope of shining light. That it shines in darkness and is not extinguished. It is not snuffed out. The darkness tries, but it cannot subdue the light. Now, as I said, if you're paying attention to, to what John is saying here, and, and, and since most of us have probably read this passage you know, a hundred times already, this is, these are very familiar words to us. This is very familiar territory. And so it's easy for us to skip over things that we've always skipped over because it's always been there and we, we know what to look for. But I would encourage you to think through uh, uh, these, these statements that John is saying and, and ask questions. Questions like, well, where did the darkness come from? If the Logos gives light and life to every man, as it says, then why is there darkness? Why is the darkness opposing the light? How does the light shine into the darkness? How does the light prevail against the darkness? And all of these things are going to be explained to us by John as he continues writing. But again, this is just his prologue. This is his introduction. This is, his presenta- pre- yeah. this is his presenting of the themes that he's going to write about for the next several chapters. Now, one thing that it will be helpful for us to make sure is, is clear from the start is that John likes these metaphors of light and darkness. And when John talks about light and dark, often he's talking about good versus evil. In his three epistles at the end of the New Testament, he uses a lot of terminology uh, that, that explains light and dark or good versus evil. And so it will be helpful for us as we're reading through this to think through that. When it's talking about light, I'm thinking of good. When I'm talking about darkness, I'm thinking of evil. Now, at, to this, at this point, what we have is a very mini-creation account. Remember at the beginning of the, uh, of, the, of the verse number 1, he starts off the same way that the creation account starts off. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John now writes, in the beginning was the Word. And through these five verses, we have a very miniature creation account. I'll, I'll explain it to you uh, real shortly and then let you look at it in more depth on your own. In verses 1 and 2, we have that Time before time, we have in the beginning, before there was the creation of the world. 
Then in verse number 3, we have the creation of the world. Then in verse number 4, we have that time between man's creation and before man's fall. And then in verse number 5, when the, with the introduction of darkness, we have man's fall into sin. Now, everything that has been explained in miniature now, in verses 1-5, through five, John is going to go pull, uh, unwrap a little bit further in verses 6-13. through 13. Just as in Genesis 1-3, when it says that darkness covered the face of the deep, we find here that the darkness which covers the world is about to be extinguished by the light. What's the first thing that God did, according to the creation account at least, it says that God said, let there be light. And God separated light and darkness. And here we have this, this darkness that's on the world and yet light is coming and it is going to extinguish the darkness. And this is the hope. This is the hope that we have of shining light is that, uh, that there is a darkness in the world all around us. There's a darkness in every man's heart. But there's hope that light will shine. That light shines in the darkness and it is not extinguished. Then John moves into verse number 6 with the news of coming light. Now all up to this point, he's been talking about a Logos. He's been talking about God in the flesh. Now he begins to talk about a man. A man named John. And notice what he says about John. Three things that we want to see about John. First of all, it says that he was a witness. John was a witness that was carrying this light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. He's not the light, as the verses uh, are very clear to make sure we understand. And in fact, later on in chapter 1, which we won't cover, the Jews come to John and are like, hey, are you the one that we're supposed to come? And he says, I'm not the one. I'm not the Christ. Uh, I, but he knew that he had come to prepare the way for the Christ. Jesus, later on in John chapter 5, calls John the lamp. The lamp is not the light. The lamp is that which carries the light. The lamp is that which, uh, which, uh, which uh, brings the light into the, into the darkness. And that's what Jesus called John. He said He's the lamp. He's the forerunner. He's the one who comes before me to prepare the way. Secondly, we see John's mission. What was John's mission? What was the, what was the purpose of John being a witness? Well, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light or to testify. These are, these are court terms. John is here to bear witness, to give testimony about the light. John came, as you read in Matthew and Mark and Luke, John's ministry was to preach repentance. Uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says you, you, you better turn before, uh, before it's too late. The Messiah is on His way. And he preached repentance so that when the Messiah came, people would believe in Him and that people would turn through John's message. And that's what, John, that's what John the Gospel writer is saying of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, and here we have his goal. What was the goal? That all might believe through him. And John is very careful again there, verse number 8. He is not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, as he says, was coming into the world. So John was the witness, and his mission was then to testify of this coming light and with the goal that all would believe in this coming light. It reminds me of in Romans chapter 10. If you're quick to turn there, you can see it with me. But I'll read to you just a few verses from Romans 10. We, we 
often use Romans 10.13 to help people understand uh, the, the good news of salvation. Uh, for everyone, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it goes on to say, how then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? So you can't call on the One if you don't believe in the One. And it says, and how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And it goes on to continue to ask these questions. And this is John the Baptist's ministry. Not so that John will get famous. Not so that John will have a purpose in life. But so that those who hear John's message will believe in Christ. How will they hear except there be a preacher? And this was John the Baptist's ministry. And this is the news then of coming light. Preparing the way for him. Thirdly, we see the blessing of seeing the light. One of my favorite verses and just a little phrase in this passage uh, is there in, in uh, the, the, the true light was coming into the world. The true light, verse number 9, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And here it is, the blessing now of seeing this light. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. That the light which has always shone and this is why it's so important in verse number 5 there to say that the light shines in the darkness. That it wasn't that the light finally was shining in Bethlehem in the manger, but that the light has always shown. That people have always come to the light. Even before Christ came, there were people who believed and people who were saved. And now that Christ has come, it says the light was coming into the world. Verse number 10 then, it says... He was in the world. And the world was made through Him. Remember what it said in verse number 3? There's nothing made that was made without Him. He was in the world. He entered His own creation. He came into the world that He had made. They did not know Him. They didn't recognize Him. To make it worse, to, to expand on that idea, he goes even further to say he came to his own, speaking of his own people, the Jews. They didn't receive him. The light-giving word, the life-giving word came. They didn't know him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. This is the, the, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that we read just a few minutes ago in Isaiah 9. That the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. But they didn't receive it. Some didn't know, and maybe this is referring to the Gentiles. I think though that it refers to all of creation. And then, the, then they didn't, neither did they know Him or receive Him. These are the Jews. These are the people who profess to know God. These are the people who say they're waiting for the Messiah to come. And when He came, what did they do? They rejected Him. Why? Why would they reject the One who came and said very plainly, He is the light? Jesus said several times that John records, John 8.12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says in chapter 9, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He says in chapter 12, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So then why would these people reject it? 
Why would, they, why would the light come and they would not receive the light? Well, John is very quick to answer that question for us, and so we are going to try to answer that one. So if you're in John, I want to ask you to turn over to chapter 3. And right after the most famous verse in maybe all of the Bible, John explains to us why these people reject the light. John 3.16, a very famous, a beautiful verse. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But notice verse number 19, and John uses a little bit more of this courtroom terminology. He says, this is the judgment. Here's the, here's the, the judge's uh, uh, sentencing coming down. This is, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Light comes into the world and people reject it because they don't love the light. They love the dark. Why do they love the dark? Because their deeds are evil. There's that good and evil symbolism there. Everyone, he goes on, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So why do these people then not believe? Why do these people not receive the light? Because they love the darkness. Because they love their sin. Because their deeds are evil. Very plainly put, people love sin more than they love God. All of us love our sin. In our natural state, we love sin more than we love God, which is why we do these things. That's why we break God's laws, because we love to do what we want to do more than we love to do what God says. This is the the, the nature of sin. And light comes into the world, and and people didn't all just turn to Jesus and say, yes, finally, the light is here. They said, crucify We want our darkness. We want our sin. These are the Jews. These are the very these aren't these aren't the pagans. These aren't the people who don't know God. These aren't the people who haven't been warned. These are the people who have been given thousands of years of preparation. And they've been given prophet after prophet after prophet leading up to John the Baptist to say, Here he's coming. Prepare. Repent. Believe. And here he comes. And they reject Him. They reject not only the light, but they reject every messenger that the light sent before Him. Before we get into the thinking that how, how could they do such things? How, how awful it was that the Jews rejected Christ. We must realize that we're not really any better. We're no different. Apart from God's saving grace, all of us would reject Christ. All of us love the darkness until Christ changes our hearts. Until that new nature is given to you that loves the light rather than the darkness. 
this example that Israel sets before us in these verses and all throughout the history of the Bible uh, merely shows us how depraved all of us are. Because Israel at that time was the most enlightened of all the people of the world. Nobody knew more truth than Israel did, and yet it was the people who knew the most truth that rejected their Messiah. Yet we could do the very same thing were it not for the grace of God. Paul writes about this predicament that Israel is in when he wrote Romans chapter 9, verse 4. He says that they're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. And yet they reject Him. How could we say that we're any better? Simply because... We believe now. We're no better than, than Israel. We're no better than the people that, that reject Christ. And it is only because of God's grace that God has brought to a, a humbling experience and brought to a, a grace and salvation that any of us believe. And that's what it goes on to say there in verse number 12. that the, the, There were those who rejected Christ, but it wasn't everybody. And it wasn't all of Israel, and it wasn't even all of the Gentiles, that there were those who did believe, those who did receive, verse number 12, back in chapter 1, but to all who did receive Him. And He, and he explains to us, how does, how does someone receive Christ? How does someone receive the light? It says, those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And then he goes and gives us some very specifics here about how a person becomes a child of God. So John is explaining here that those who believe in Christ, those who have received the light, become the children of God. How then does this birth happen? How does one become a child of God? Well, he is very clear to say, first of all, how you do not become a child of God. He says it's not by blood. That would be by human descent by biological means. You're not born into the family of God through, through a physical mother and father, which would speak very directly to the Jews who thought that they were in Abraham because they descended from Abraham. And he says in Romans that not all are Abraham's seed who are of, who are of Abraham. Not all are Israel who are of Israel. He goes on to say that it's not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Now, there's more that, that we could get into, but let me just very generally say that John is eliminating every human possibility as to how a person becomes a child of God. There is no human way for you or me to become a child of God. It is only and simply and nothing less than an act of God. Why? Because sinners love the darkness rather than the light. And no sinner will choose God over his own sin unless God changes that sinner, changes his wanter to want light instead of darkness. So that's the good news. That's the hope. That's the joy of Christmas is that light has come. Light has shown. And, and Paul writes in the, in the, to the Corinthians, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is good news. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that light has come and that, that the, the, the darkness has been dispersed. And as we look around in the world today, we see that there is darkness still, but in our hearts, in our lives, the darkness has, has vanished and that Christ has come. What do we do with this? What do we do with this truth? Let me give you three, possible, three possibilities with this truth. First of all, uh, you must come to the light. Light has come, therefore you and I must come to the light. You have heard the good news. Jesus is the light. Jesus saves sinners. question is, have you responded? Have you come to the light? See, no one, as John has said here, no one who has been born into God's family got there on their own will or on their own desire or on their own effort. It was purely an act of God. So let's just be real plain here. You are not a Christian because your parents believe. Young people, you are not going to go to heaven because your parents bring you to church, because your parents are Christians. You only are a Christian because you yourself believe. You are not a Christian because you are working to earn it. You are only a Christian because you believe in the finished work of Christ. You are not a Christian because you know some facts, some truth. One of the great dangers of growing up in church as an unbeliever is that you know enough to fool yourself and everybody else. You know the facts, but you don't believe them. What a tragedy it would be to spend year after year celebrating Christmas, but never receiving the Christ of Christmas. That's why the song invites us to come to the light. It is shining for thee. Receive Christ. Believe it. Whenever we have a membership interview, and I go through a membership class, I ask the people, you need to be able to explain what is the Gospel. And then, not just tell me what the Gospel is, but now, how does that affect you? What does the Gospel then mean to you? What, what does that do for you? Does it have any good news for you? Or is it just facts? Do you believe it? As Paul writes in Acts 26, turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. Secondly, if you've come to the light, then you must walk in the light. Walk in the light as a child of God. Are you daily walking in the light? Paul wrote to the Ephesians that at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. Why would a child of light walk in the darkness? Why would someone who has been changed by the light continue to live in the dark? John, in his letters, later explains what it means to walk in the light. To walk in the light, you can read 1 John chapter 1 and he'll explain this, but walking in the light means to live out the truth. It means to practice the truth. It means that you are walking honestly before God. Not ignoring your sin. 
Not hiding your sin. Not calling it something else to make you feel better about it. But walking in the light is walking honestly before God. And what God's Word says about your sin, you say the same thing. And when God says it's wrong, you say it's wrong and you don't do it. And when God says to do this, you do this. And when God says don't do that, you don't do that. That's walking in the light. Walking in the light means continually repenting of your sin. Walking in the light means being cleansed of that sin. Walking in the light means having fellowship with God, and with God's people. So if you say you believe it, then live it out as well. As Peter says, live it out as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Thirdly, Take heart because of the light. Take heart because of the light because there is darkness in our world. We don't have to look very far. We don't have to uh, listen to the news for too long. You don't have to pay much attention to know that there's a lot of darkness in the world right now. And it's not just because of the winter solstice. It's because of the sin that's in our lives. There's a lot of dark people. There are a lot of evil going on in the world today. And, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a tendency for people, for Christians, to grow uh, overwhelmed by that, to become fearful of that, because the light seems to be snuffed out in places. The darkness seems to be winning if you look at it from the wrong perspective. But Jesus has given us these words of hope. That the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. It has not. It will not. Just keep reading the Scriptures. You get to the end and you find out the light continues to shine in the darkness until there is no more darkness. Sin and darkness abound, but the darkness will not overcome. Jesus said in John 16, He says, In the world you will have tribulation, But take heart. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is the hope of the Christian. That we know that light has not only come into the world, but that it has encountered the darkness. And it has defeated and overcome the darkness. And the Christian's hope and joy at Christmas is knowing this. That the light has come into the world and that it has shone in the hearts of sinners. And has opened their eyes to see and caused them to believe and become children of God. And if you're not a child of God this morning, if you have never received the light, if you've never believed it, then pray that your eyes might be opened so that you might know the blessing of seeing the light. Anyone in this room would love to explain that to you more fully and more carefully so that you know what it is that you believe. If you have seen the light, then walk in it. Be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. Know that the light shines on. and It will not be overcome this Christmas as we look into the manger. I invite you to not only look and see the incarnate Word made flesh, but to see that the light has come. We continue to read in the New Testament, we know that Jesus went ascended back into heaven, but He did not leave us Alone, He has called us now lights of the world. We shine in the dark places. It's a good thing. It's a hopeful thing. It's a joyful thing that light has come.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that we have seen light. I don't assume that everybody in this room has seen light. There might be some in here, skeptics, some who for all their seeing can't see a thing. For all their knowledge, they don't believe any truth. Lord, we pray that their eyes would be open. Lord, what a testimony it is when you take a sinner's heart and turn an enemy into a son. Someone who loves their sin more than their more than Christ. All of a sudden, and for some unknown human reason, they love their Savior more than sin. And we know it's because of the work that you do in their hearts. The work you've done in our hearts. Given us that new nature. Change that desire from sin to righteousness. What other reason would there be for a group of people to gather every Sunday? Worship something other than themselves. Confess sin. Independence. And someone greater and better than them. God, you've changed us and we're so thankful that you have. Father, if there's someone in this room that does not know the Savior, may the light shine in their heart. Did the darkness flee? Help us then as those who are children of light to walk then as such. When we walk into work, when we walk into our homes and interact with our family, when we're out and about running errands in the community, May we walk as children of light. Not as those who are afraid of things that are beyond our control, but knowing that you have all things handled. May we walk circumspectly. May we walk wisely, not foolishly. Help us to live each day encouraged. And however darkened this world may get, however... Uh, evil, the, the, the works of people around us may be. You're the light that shines in darkness. It will not be overcome. Help us to live with the end in view, knowing that there will be no more darkness, no more night. All will be light. This morning we began our service by reading that verse that Reminds us that in your light we see light. So cause us to see you this morning. Cause us to look to you and keep our eyes fixed on you. Cause us to believe. Cause us to repent. Cause us to walk in light. 